the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back uh, as we head into our third hour and into the weekend. Uh, we are uh, privileged and honored to have with us Rabbi Pinchas Alush in studio. Many people asked me if the rabbi would be joining us this week. Many of you have called in and emailed. And um, when David, uh, our usual producer, was uh, reading a Facebook post that the rabbi wrote about his son, who was in the elite forces of the Israeli Defense Forces in Israel, uh, it was very kind of you to inquire about the rabbi and uh, wasn't sure if the rabbi was, with everything he's juggling, going to be able to join us. We are delighted to have you here, sir. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. And thank you to your listeners also for their shower of support and yeah. uh, encouraging emails. Yeah, thank you uh, to them as well. Uh, this is a hard interview for me to uh, conduct with you, Rabbi, so I'm going to place an extra burden on you. I don't know how to talk to you today. Um, that's how I'd start. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your son first and foremost? Sure. So about a year and a half ago, my son decided to leave the comfort of his home here in Arizona and join the IDF forces. When I asked him why, why such a drastic move, he said, look, Abba, all I want to do is help my family. My family relating, of course, to our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land and to the Jewish people. And, of course, we encouraged him on this journey. He joined the paratrooper unit. He's a sniper in that paratrooper unit today. He excelled in his training. And uh, ever since the conclusion of his training, he's been uh, sent to all sorts of, of uh, secret operations. No one, no one expected that my son, along with all of these brothers and sisters at arm, would have to face such a war as they are facing now. But um, we spoke with him a few times this week when he was able to call us. And uh, it's quite amazing and, and deeply moving to notice that although they are facing evil, pure evil, their spirits are strong, their resilience is unshakable. And uh, the love that they are displaying is just inspiring. There's no, no other word. Um, I will say also uh, something more specific about my son, if I may. And that is that, you know, he didn't have to do this. He's not an Israeli citizen. Um, and unlike all Israeli citizens who have to join the army at the age of 18 already, you know, when the rest of the world goes to college and has fun, they have to... They have to mature up and become 40 years old at the age of 18 years old. So my son didn't have to do that, but he decided to do that at the age of 18 out of a deep sense of responsibility, which is in and of itself inspiring for an 18-year-old or for anyone to feel that they have been created not just to float in this world or to have fun, but rather to make this world a better place and to dedicate himself or, or herself to to something greater than themselves, I think is something that we can all learn from. 
We absolutely can. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. I didn't give you the usual improper introduction. A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E is how he pronounces his name. He joins us most Fridays when he's in town as we head into the weekend, as we head into the um, into the Sabbath and tries to put us into a more Sabbath-oriented uh, mind and mood. It's going to be a little bit more challenging this weekend, no doubt. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, which is on Shea Boulevard, means House of Prayer, and he is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. You can hear it on Apple Podcasts. You're doing a special service tonight, Rabbi, uh, which you invite the community to, I should say. You always invite the community to your congregation, whether they're Orthodox or practicing or not, whether they're even Jewish or not, tell them about uh, tell the tell the community that you're inviting the wide and broad community. You're inviting what 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 will be at your synagogue, your shul tonight. Absolutely. Well, all are welcome always, like you just pointed out, but particularly tonight, one of the things we put out as soon as we heard the news was that we must face this darkness with more light tonight as we do each and every Friday afternoon, not really night, but before sunset, we will gather together to light the Sabbath candles, uh, which is a Jewish tradition that may be uh, 4,000 years old. And uh, the power of lighting candles on Shabbat, especially together, I think will demonstrate to the world that this darkness will be expelled that as thick and as heavy as it is, the power of our light, of our Shabbat lights, as well as our, the light of our soul, will eventually prevail. Uh, Rabbi, uh, let's talk about your son. How old is he? He's 20. <clears throat> and he decided to join the Israeli Defense Forces a couple of years ago. That's correct. I was watching on the news earlier today something that I hope the news never does again. But it was interviewing someone around your son's age, a young college student around the age of 19 in uh, Manhattan, saying that she simply uh, doesn't believe the narrative of what has been described that took place Saturday, Sunday, and has been taking place at the hands of Hamas, simply doesn't believe it, um, that it's um, not true. And that uh, the real victims here are those that uh, Israel is acting against. It's a tale of two different kinds of 19, 18, or 20-year-olds. One, your son who sees things clearly, and one who um, is doing her best, it seems like, to hide herself not only from the truth, but wants to believe in the forces of decomposition and evil. We don't, of course, know anything about how this young girl was raised. But this is the challenge between good and evil that rests on all of our shoulders. Talk about different kinds of 18-year-olds. How, does, how do you raise an 18-year-old that wants to go and fight for good in the forces of composition? And what do you say about 18, 19, or 20-year-olds? Alter the parents of them. Uh, the parents of these 18, 19, and 20-year-olds whose children are wanting to stand with the forces of decomposition. Right. So, look, first to the point of that 18-year-old who was interviewed Uh, and who spoke lies, to say the least, uh, that you just pointed out. I would say it's like blindfolding a person, uh, like me blindfolding myself and saying that I don't believe in the power of sight, Mm -hmm. or like me blocking my ears and saying I don't believe in the power of sound. Well, maybe if I take my fingers out of my ears or 
or the, uh, the handkerchief out of my eyes, then all of a sudden things would be different and then it wouldn't be relegated to belief, but it would simply be relegated to facts, to reality, to what is on the ground. It is clear, crystal clear, that the evil that occurred this past Saturday was an evil that showed pure barbarism, savages who raped young girls and called them their mother so that their mother could hear their scream, savages who decapitated bodies, savages who handcuffed babies and then shot them to death. Don't tell me, don't tell me that this is a war between two sides, that we don't believe the Israeli narrative. There is no narrative. There is no war between two sides. This is simply the battle between good and evil. And all we need to do is open up our eyes, take off that handkerchief, unblock our ears. We'll see it and we'll hear it. That's number one. How do you raise a child uh, who's 18 years old that would want to go and give himself over for his nation, for the betterment of our world? I think it doesn't happen overnight. It begins with the values that we instill in them when they are babies. It begins also with the energy and the general atmosphere in the home that must be an atmosphere that builds our children up. And it also begins with this idea that we weren't created just for ourselves. We were created for a greater purpose. Some people find that greater purpose by joining the Israeli army, like my son, and giving his all to his brothers and sisters. Some people find that greater purpose in other ways. But I think one of the, if not the greatest idea that we must inculcate in our children is that they are here on a mission from God and they must devote themselves on whatever to that to whatever that mission may be there's something um about the stoicism of the jewish people that i'd like to on the other side of this break i'm i'm going into a break in a moment right bill yeah a few seconds that I'd like to talk about when we come back. I don't know if you had this experience this week. I did, and it's it's interesting. I, I don't think I've ever really had the opportunity. It's the wrong word. I don't think I've ever had the experience of knowing it, where in talking with a lot of non-Jewish people this week, they came to me with tears and crying over what they saw. Talking to most Jewish people, uh, there was more stoicism about it. And it has something to do with what the commentator and writer Douglas Murray said about a conversation he had with Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi of Israel, I'd like to talk to you about when we come back. Um, He said when asking Rabbi Sachs what makes the Jewish people special and unique, he says is that they live with history and memory. Um, And and I wonder if that gets us to some of why the Jewish people are so much more stoic about this than their non-friends who have been calling and reaching out to them. Rabbi Pincha Solution, I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's an honor to have in studio with us uh, one of the great great, uh, people of our community, great people of the world, Rabbi Pincha Solution, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. It is a benefit to our community that this great man of the world is based here. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, on Shea Boulevard, and the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts. Douglas Murray, who himself is not Jewish, 
writer, commentator. He's sat in the chair you're sitting in, spoken in the microphone you're speaking from a couple years ago. He was saying um, in a speech he gave yesterday that he once asked the former chief rabbi of Great Britain, Jonathan Sachs, what Judaism was to him. He said, well, actually, Rabbi Sachs said something quoting someone else. He said um, that another philosopher once said the Jewish people are distinct uh, mostly because they have a sense of history like none other they embody in their daily lives. And Douglas Murray said, that's not everything you have to say about it, is it? And Jonathan Sachs said, no, I would say it's not just history, it's memory. Uh, Jewish people live with memory. And there's been a stoicism I've noticed in Jewish people this past week that a lot of non-Jewish people and friends of ours and friends of the state of Israel and friends of the forces of decency, they've broken down and cried a lot more than the Jews have. And I'm just wondering if it's because of that sense of history and memory, this sad to say, might be um, fresh, but it's not new. Yes, that's correct. You know, you remind me of a humorous story. Apparently, it's a true story about Winston Churchill, who visited the Holy Land of Israel shortly after the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948. And there weren't enough trees in the streets of Tel Aviv to make them look uh, dignified enough for uh, the, 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 for this great prime minister, for Winston Churchill. So what they did is that they took trees from all sorts of places in Israel and they just placed them as if they grew on that street. But really, they were brought from other places. And as Winston Churchill was walking alongside that street where those displaced trees were placed, um, tr- uh, kids started growing on those trees. <laughs> and all of a sudden, a tree fell off. Well, kids were playing on them, and That's yeah, because right. they weren't rooted deeply. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Right. And then once the Churchill said something quite powerful to the mayor of Tel Aviv at the time, he said, oh, I see that trees need roots in order to be strong yeah. and grow. Yeah. And I think this is a story of the Jewish people, that we've forever recognized that we needed roots, that we need to be connected to our roots in order to be strong and in order to grow. Therefore, we don't quite believe in history because if you think about it, history is a combination of two words, his story. It's not his story. It's my story. What happened in the past is my story, not just history. And from that story, I have to learn. From that story, I have to learn also how to become strong. And from that story, I have to learn how to grow. And I think that is indeed one of the great contributors to the Jewish spirit That when we look back at history and we see that, for example, with every challenge, we've grown even more. We've responded to every moment of destruction with even greater construction. Then it teaches us how to deal with this challenge that we are experiencing right now, a challenge that many have said we haven't seen since the Holocaust. You know, that's an interesting point because it is so close, so much more close than we know. The objects in the rearview mirror are closer than they appear I was giving a talk earlier this week about uh, terrorism and Arab terrorism, and I was making this point. I said there is now a very well-known, famous candidate for president named Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, His father was killed by the first act of Arab terrorism on this soil, his father on American soil. His father was killed uh, by a Palestinian who said Robert Kennedy had to die because of his support for Israel. That's how close it is. Now his son is running for president. I have, uh, and someone you know, uh, his mother, 
uh, lives in uh, Israel, and uh, I grew up across the street from this family. Uh, their son is in the Israeli de- – uh, their grandson, the mother's grandson is in the Israeli Defense Forces. I knew her sisters. Her sisters had tattoos on their arms, and this mother was uh, hidden out by a wonderful Christian family in Holland who kept her safe during the onslaught. It's all very close to us, isn't it? It's really much closer than we think. That's correct. Much, much closer than we think. And uh, dare I say also, it permeates many realms of our lives. Of course, there's the reality that we spoke of, unless you're completely blind and deaf to it. And then, of course, there is the world of the mind and the world of the heart. And that's where we also need to fight the good fight. Because there are philosophies that are purely evil that have permeated the minds, especially of the youth today. And it's our duty, I think, to eradicate those philosophies completely and to, in many, many ways, restore morality as it should be. It's true for the heart, too. In the world of the heart, terror uh, seeks to to infuse fear. That's what the word terror means. And therefore, we have to respond to terror with conviction, with determination, as the Israelis are doing right now, as the Jewish people in general have done in history or in my story. And uh, we must not let these evil people permeate that world either. You know, we would have been talking about this in the abstract if last Saturday was not last Saturday, because every week as we talk about here, there's a Torah portion that you read from the Torah, the Bible, every uh, Saturday, and it would have been the beginning of the Bible, and it is tomorrow going to be the beginning of the Bible, the opening chapters of Genesis, known as uh, Bereshit, Bereshit. And one of the leading messages of it, I mean, there are so many. In fact, I'm born in this chapter. Oh, yes. Mazel tov, congratulations. Seth comes in uh, in Genesis, uh, right? (laughs) But um, one of the many messages is that God gave humans freedom to act good and act ill. He gave them the freedom to act badly. Why? Mm. <laughs> That's the ultimate Sorry. question. Sorry. <laughs> that was the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take a minute. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ultimate question. Yeah. Why the freedom of will? Uh, the freedom of will is— I mean, if I'm interpreting it right, that right. happens in this portion. That's correct. And I would say the, the to condense— you know, world philosophies into this following sentence to, and to answer this question, why did God give us the freedom to choose? That is so that goodness can become inherent in human nature mm-hmm. instead of it being robotic. Mm-hmm. Once we learn to choose and to own goodness, then we become good. Mm-hmm. If we can't choose it, learn it, study it, internalize it, then... Um, Goodness is as superficial as it gets, and then it can't really dwell in this world. In a sense, there's no such thing as good if you don't choose it. If it's endemic or inherent, there's no distinction between good and evil, right? That's correct, yes, just like anything else. Anything anything worth, you know, Socrates said that an unexamined life is not worth living. Right. In order to have a life that's worth living, we have to examine it, choose it, and then own it. Let me come back and talk to you a little bit more about this because it is the question that I think plagues everyone, Jew, non-Jew, uh, mankind, this, this, this choice of free will. And um, also I'd like to talk about something from your podcast 
people ask what they can do. In your podcast this week, you told them about six things they mm-hmm. can do. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah here on Shea Boulevard. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. We think about the opening chapters of the Bible and Genesis as you read, and we'll read tomorrow at your congregation, Rabbi Pinchas Alush. And I was reading uh, a commentary on it from the previous mentioned uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, former head rabbi, chief rabbi of Great Britain. And he said, you know, as between humans and other animals, he said, um, cats don't debate the ethics of killing mice. Uh, vampire bats do not become vegetarians. Cows do not worry about global warming. And I was thinking about that. Aristotle, <clears throat> uh, great and first really political philosopher, said man at his when man when he is working through virtue is the best of all creatures, the best of all animals. When he is separated from virtue, he is the worst of all creatures and mm. worst of all animals. <clears throat> I thought about that over the weekend when people were saying, "Look at this animal behavior." I said. It's actually an insult to animals. Animals don't deliberately seek out uh, the most of innocence. They just seek out whatever will satisfy their appetite. We do have this problem of evil in our world that God gave us, and it's hard for people to wrestle with that that question, why, why would he give it to us? And you made a very good point in the previous segment because, you know, ideally the good will triumph over evil, but it can't possibly mean a thing if it isn't a choice on behalf of this. There can be no merit to it. There can be no achievement, no reward here or in the world to come if it's not a choice someone makes. Nonetheless, we still have to ask in a just world why there can be so much evil. And um, that that's the question that still plagues, that still bothers. Someone once told me God put people— so, Someone once told me God put some people on this earth to show us how not to act. Mm. Is that a fair statement? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, that should is a fair statement because as the ethics of our fathers, one of the great Jewish books teaches, that who is wise, he who learns from everyone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, good or Ill. Yeah. sometimes what are you going to learn from people that are so evil? What not to do? That's the only thing we can learn from them. But I will... Go back and relate to your question of why. And I don't think that there's an answer for that. After all, the finite being cannot always understand the infinite God. Uh, But I am reminded of a story that I think is very apropos to these times, to this week, a story about the great Lubavitcher Rebbe that we've quoted on this program many times, Rabbi Schneerson of Blessed Memory, who was uh, uh, welcoming the chief rabbi of Israel shortly after the Yom Kippur War, where Israel also suffered thousands of losses and it was a terrible period of uh, almost fifty history. years ago to the date of that, uh, last. Saturday. That's correct. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And many are comparing what is happening now to the Yom Kippur War. But uh, when this chief rabbi of Israel came to the rabbi here in New York, uh, the rabbi simply asked him, "What is the mood like in the streets of Israel?" And the chief rabbi responded, "Well, the mood can be summarized in the question that people are asking, and that question is in Hebrew." which means what will be. And the great rabbi grabbed then the arm of the chief rabbi and he said, Rabbi Lau, you should know that's not a Jewish question. We don't ask what will be. Mm -hmm. We ask what can we do? Mm -hmm. Because what will be is passive. Mm -hmm. It's almost 
uh, becoming a victim to the circumstances. What we'll do is being active and mastering the destiny of our future. Well, I want to talk to you about what we should do because in your podcast you gave us six things to do. And I'm going to save it for the next segment because I want to ask you something really quickly before we leave this short segment. We have a longer one in the next one. That question, why evil, why God gave us evil, um, was probably most prominent after 1945 and uh, what was discovered in 1945 by the rest of the world. And I remember someone I read in a – I think it was a piece by Rabbi Joseph Telushkin – line about someone asking a Holocaust survivor how you can believe in God after the Holocaust. He said, that too is the wrong question. Hmm. So the the question is, after the Holocaust, how can you believe in man? Right. Right? That's right. I think that was Elie Wiesel. Okay. And uh, it is so true because where was man? The world was silent during the Holocaust. Um, so the question really is on man. God expects man to do his part in the fight against evil. Or as Albert Einstein put it, that evil happens not because of evil, but because of good people who remain silent yeah. when it does happen. Dana Loesch uh, has a podcast, and uh, she was talking two days ago on it. She said, people ask how how the Holocaust could go on and people not say or do anything or how people could turn their eyes to it or even how good people could justify it. She said, uh, it's not that hard. We're seeing it today. If you need to answer that question, go to a college campus today. Go to ASU yesterday. Go to Harvard. Go to Columbia. Rabbi Pinchas Lucian, I will be right back. He's going to talk about six things that we can do in these tough times. Be right back. Rabbi Pinkas Halush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, host of the Rabbi Halush podcast, three to five minutes every week. I think we got a double portion this week, thank God, uh, to change uh, your life, um, is with us in studio as he is most Fridays, even on this difficult one. Uh, he, as the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, House, house of Prayer, uh, will be doing a special uh, service tonight. If you're hearing this now, uh, just stop by. It's on Shea Boulevard. Uh, once again, Rabbi, you want to extend uh, to the community that invitation? Absolutely. Everyone is welcome to join us for the special Shabbat candle lighting ceremony um, at 515 and thereafter for a special prayer service at 545 in solidarity with Israel. And uh, it's on Shea Boulevard. If you're driving uh, east or west, what would be the cross street? Well, that's right. So if you're driving east, uh, you'll see it on your right side. Uh, it's on 65th Place and Shea Boulevard. Wonderful. If you're driving west, it'll be on your left. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Six things you talk about we can do. First and foremost, you offer up four different psalms. Psalm 20, Psalm 83, Psalm 121, Psalm 130. I won't ask you to do them by memory, but the first thing to do is pray. That's right. Talk about the power of prayer. Right. Um the power of prayer is that when it comes from the heart, it pierces the heavens. You know, um, after all, we have a co-partner in this world, and uh, his name is God. And yes, sometimes we cannot understand his ways, but he certainly listens to our cry like a parent would listen to his child, even though that child was just disciplined, and uh, especially if it comes from the heart. So we really believe that the power of prayer is a, is a power that can annul this terrible decree, especially, especially 
when it is uh, when it comes from togetherness, when it comes from unity. Just like again, children who come together to their parent and beseech their parent for something specific, the parent can't remain numb or apathetic to that cry. And we truly believe that that is the case here also. We can't understand God's ways, but we do know that God will eventually listen to a prayer that comes from the heart, especially if it comes from united hearts. If it doesn't change God, it can also change you too, right? Mm-hmm. Right? No, Absolutely. can change the person. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's right. Second thing you say, if I wrote it down right, um, working off uh, notes I took fast, help funds that support the soldiers in Israel, yes? Right. Absolutely. You know, uh, there's a tendency during tough times to sink in our own depression and to retort to feelings altogether. And uh, I think what Judaism teaches is that there is a time for peace and there's a time for war. And there's a time to talk and there's a time to act. This is a time to act. We can't allow feelings to overcome us. We must act. And the best way to act is to act in support of those who are fighting the good fight. And that includes certainly the idea of soldiers and includes the many also who were evacuated now from their homes and are displaced persons uh, that will not have a home to go back to. And it includes also those who uh, are, give their lives over uh, to attend to the injured and to in general, ensure that uh, Israel can still be functionable during these very challenging times. Dennis Prager says that not everyone can fight, but everyone can help those who fight. Oh, very well said. Very well Three, said. Three, you say, do a mitzvah, which is a commandment or a good deed. Right, and that speaks to a spiritual weapon. Because, yes, we have physical weapons, and like you said, they are used by those who fight. And, uh, um, you know, we have also spiritual weapons. We believe that every action has a reaction, in the words of Newton. Uh, But that is true in the world of spirit, too. When I do a good deed, that creates a ripple effect of goodness in the world. So, yes, we saw this massive display of pure savages and and evil. But um, we can overcome that by adding our own little light, a light of our good deeds, of our kind deeds to the world. You know, there's a great sage that says that a little bit of light expels a lot of darkness. And uh, that light is created mainly through mitzvahs, through good deeds. So I encourage everyone to take upon themselves a new good deed to win that war through our spiritual weapons. Our resolutions don't just have to happen on January 1st, mm-hmm. right? That's correct. kind of leads, and sometimes for some people, the next thing, suggestion four, is itself could be a good deed. Join community-wide events. Right. Because nothing is as strengthening to our people and to the world altogether as the power of community. I see that. I see that on a regular basis, but we see that specifically during times. You know, as a rabbi, one of my greatest joys is to see how when someone has uh, a reason to celebrate life, whether it's a birth of a new child or a barambat mitzvah, celebrating a milestone in life, when they come together and they rejoice with community, their joy then is multiplied. And it's true also when it comes to grieving, that when they grieve with the community, their grief is halved, if not more, because that's the power of community. We have that power to lift each other up. And this is the time, therefore, to come together and lift each other up over those terrible forces of evil, and we will prevail together. Educate is number five. 
inform public opinion. Right. Erase the nonsense you're hearing from these 19-year-old monsters. That's correct. And, uh, uh, you know, we live in a world where there are so many different microphones and social media has uh, enhanced that feeling and that, that platform or those platforms. And it's important that everyone influences their own social network because uh, the people that believe in those lies may not hear it from other places no. than you no. because you're in their social network. So I think everyone today has a much greater duty than we had in the past to influence our own social networks so that the people who are in it, who believe in those lies, can finally hear the voice of truth. There's so many, so many, and I've seen it this week, there are so many, uh, to say the least, misinformed people that simply are misinformed because of ignorance. And it's incumbent upon us to educate them with that common sense, again, with that voice of truth. And finally, sixth, if you happen to be Jewish, deepen your connection with your people. That's correct, because at the end of the day, we, it's not enough to know what we are fighting against. We have to know what we are fighting for. We have to, we are, the, these terrorists chose one of the holiest days and the happiest days of the year to attack our people. Last Saturday was the holiday of Simchat Torah in which Jews across the world dance with this scroll, dance with the Bible, dance with their Unbridled very foundation. Unbridled joy carrying the Bible above their heads. That's correct. That's what the holiday was. That's right. And therefore, be. the best answer to those evil terrorists is to reconnect ourselves with that scroll yeah. that they so wish to destroy and with the happiness that this scroll really emanates and that they too wish to destroy. On the first thing, pray. If uh, people want someone individually to pray for and may not know someone over there, why don't you tell the audience your son's name one more time and That's they so can kind pray for him. Thank you so much. His full Hebrew name is Israel. Mordechai Chai, the son of Esther. But please, I ask everyone to not just include him, include all of his peers, as soldiers, and our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land. Thank you very much. Rabbi Pinchas Alus, thank you so much. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you. Well, welcome back, and thank you for spending uh, part of your day, part of your hour with us, really part of your week. It's been a tough one, and we'll get through it. That's what we do, and we do it together. Thank you for uh, all your contributions to the show. Thank you, David. Thank you, uh, Bill, uh, for uh, helping out, especially today, as you do every day. Thank you to all of you. In the um, closing arguments... And the open, well, the opening and closing arguments at Nuremberg. The United States prosecutor was my favorite Supreme Court ja Justice Robert Jackson, who took a leave from the Supreme Court to prosecute the Nazi war criminals at Nuremberg. And in his opening case, opening argument, he said, "Quote: The wrongs which we seek to condemn and punish have been so calculated, so malignant, and so devastating." that civilization cannot tolerate their being ignored because it cannot survive their being repeated. It is our duty when we say such lies as never again that these things never be repeated, yet repeated they are. And they're repeated quite because of what Dana Loesch said in her podcast that I alluded to earlier. People want to know how they could watch what was going on in the years 1933 to 1945 and say and do nothing or support it. You can get an idea of it now. You can get an idea of it. 
what you're seeing at the college campuses and in the streets of New York. At the end of the trial at Nuremberg, Robert Jackson, in his closing argument, said um, the defendants in the crimes against humanity ask this tribunal to say they are not guilty of planning, executing, or conspiring to commit this long list of crimes and wrongs. They stand before the record of this trial as blood-stained Gloucester stood by the body of his slain king. He begged of the widow, as they beg of you, say, I slew them not. And the queen replied, then say they were not slain, but dead they are. If you were to say these men that, of these men that they are not guilty, it would be as true as to say there had been no war, there are no slain, there are, was no crime, but slain, war, and crime there has been committed. I talk about why refi a lot here, and um, they're a great company and a great sponsor of this show. And um, I was meeting with them. I tell you that they're great actors in this community as well. One of the founders, Don, is a trumpet player. And I was with him earlier today where he recorded this version of Taps, which he wanted to send out. This is Don from Why Refi on Trumpet playing Taps for the slain Israelis and Americans this week. I think we'll go out with it. Don. Until Monday, I'm Seth Leapson. God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.